In today's conversation, Kaz and I will journey down the Nile to explore the life of the last Egyptian pharaoh, Cleopatra. Military genius or beautiful temptress, we will investigate how the life of this famous woman in history came to be interpreted. Notably, our discussion will visit the intersection of two great ancient empires, the pharaohs of Egypt and the Roman Republic, on both of which Cleopatra left her footprint. All right, Paz. Flavo? We're talking about Cleopatra today. One and only. Eh. <laughs> there are actually a few Cleopatras, but the Cleopatra. The Cleopatra. And one of those uh, famous one-name people, like Prince uh, yeah. or Cher, but back in the ancient uh, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not bad company. Anytime you can get paired with Prince, it's pretty good. It's pretty good company. So uh, before we before we get started on on the on the background, before we all learn more about Cleopatra, do we want to uh, talk about what we knew about her before we started our research? Yeah. Uh, so what I knew about Cleopatra before this, obviously, like Egyptian pharaoh. And I knew she was a temptress of sorts. I knew she was romantically, and I feel like portrayed seductively involved with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. Um, And I I feel like I had an image of her in my head where she's always like wearing gold garb and like being like fanned by people, her servants. Like while she sits on a throne, that's that. Those are my preconceived notions of Cleopatra. That is pretty much spot on with what I thought about her. I think the first thing I think of, I just picture her with the fans, with the 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 servants doing the fanning, and then her being fed grapes. That's <laughs> like that I think of. When I yeah. think of her. And then I also like I've I've read a, a little bit about the. Julius Caesar thing, but I wouldn't say that I knew much about it going in. And uh, so there was a lot to learn. I knew the name very well, but not really much behind it. So yeah, I was excited to read more. <laughs> the, the grapes is funny. I feel like every old or ancient Roman or Egyptian painting has like very luscious fruit in it. Yeah. And it's not just like three grapes. It's the whole, it's the whole stem of grapes. Yeah, that's going. Yeah. That's how I, alongside a fruit basket, on a beautiful sunny Egyptian day. <laughs> so, Cleopatra, uh, not the first of her name. Actually, the seventh of her name, Cleopatra the seventh, was born in sixty nine BC. How appropriate. she uh so this is right at the the turn of the bc ad uh roman empire a lot of these uh large empires from the from the kind of uh modern ancient times almost would say um an exciting time to be to be looking at yeah i mean 
her story involved like the like great Roman Empire, like the Egyptian pharaohs. Um, she's Greek, like it's you know Macedonia. They all talk about Alexander the Great. This it's a huge historical like merger at a during her time. Yeah, it's definitely it's the um, because you think about the pharaohs and the uh, in that time from Egypt. And then you think about the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire and Cleopatra's life is kind of right in the intersection of all of those things. Um, yeah. Right at, she was basically the last Pharaoh. Yeah. And, um, and she was also at the very start of the Roman Empire and the end of the Roman Republic. So yeah. very exciting time. Yeah. So she was born um, Cleopatra the seventh. Her father was uh, Ptolemy the 12th. Ptolemy, that's a tough one. It's a uh, silent P at the beginning. P-T-O-L-E-M-Y. Ptolemy the 12th. And uh, kind of annoying how they're all, like, all the males in the family are named Ptolemy. Yep, all Ptolemy, a lot of Cleopatras. They're all related. Like Cleopatra's <laughs> parents were full siblings. And I believe her grandparents were full siblings. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big thing with the uh, Ptolemaic Empire, which lasted about 300 years. And Cleopatra was right at the tail end of it. Um, and this is something that I did not know about uh, Egyptian kings and queens, is that uh, there's a lot of inbreeding in the families. They keep everything in the family. So, um, brothers and sisters, fathers and daughters, uh, cousins, you name it, everyone is, uh, is getting married. It's, it's purely political and they do not care about incestuous, uh, and Egypt as a whole in this time, they estimate had one fifth or one sixth of the Egyptian families married within their family, um, which of all the known human civilizations, they practiced incest to the largest extent, like not just the royal fam- families, mm-hmm. um, the, the whole Egyptian society, one in five marriages were incestual. That is, uh, that is a lot. It's definitely, it's definitely a different time. Very interesting. I, I did not expect that, but. Yeah. And the, the OG Ptolemy, the first Ptolemy, that um, the reason well, he, he was so famous and uh, respected was um, he, I think he was a general or worked very closely with Alexander the Great. And um, that's how he came into rule. And then just, I feel like after that, you just want to pretend you're that Ptolemy. So they name everyone the same name yeah i guess it's good for name recognition because if you're if you're keeping everything within the family you have ptolemy the 12th 13th 14th uh it it does have that name recognition to it so i guess you can kind of keep it going that way cleopatra She's born in 69 BC. She's got immense wealth because she's part of the royal family immediately. And um, pretty much 
as she's growing up, she has uh, three sisters, two brothers, and uh, as is common in the the royal families of Egypt at the time, um, since you have all, so many people that could be marrying each other, having children and being king and queen, uh, there's a lot of infighting as well. It's there's no no one is above the fray when it comes to uh, family feuds. So lots of uh, murder <laughs> within the families. <laughs> Which was pretty interesting. So everyone's yeah, everyone's killing everyone, vying for the throne. Um, there, there was one particular Ptolemy that had an interesting story to give you a feel of how violent these family, this family was amongst itself. Um, I believe it was Ptolemy the Eighth. Anyways, he raped his daughter and then killed his son and sent the body parts to his wife. So, like, she gets the body parts of the son he killed. Who knows? Maybe the son was becoming popular and wanted the throne. I, I don't remember. They divorced, but then 10 years later, they get back together. They reconcile differences. Wow. That is, uh, it's horrible that the fact that he raped his daughter was kind of like the secondary part <laughs> of the story. Yeah. That's yeah. uh, but that's it's pretty par for the course with their family. That that is exemplary of kind of the way that they behaved. Yeah, um, and we yeah we will see that with Cleopatra, where all the siblings are plotting against the other siblings, trying to get that spot on the throne. Yep, one hundred percent. So um, he definitely was um, reading a lot. She loved books. Homer was her favorite author. Um, as we mentioned in the beginning, she's Greek. So she learned a lot of uh, Greek mythology at, when she was a kid. Yeah, like you're saying, she's very, and probably her whole family, were very groomed for the position of royalty. Mm -hmm. uh, they were, they took classes on how to, give public speaking. Um, they were learning in Alexandria, which had the greatest library of the time. It's like the Harvard of the time. You wanted your tutor to, you know, have learned in Alexandria. Um, and she, yes. she's learning the ways. Before she would eat food, a servant would always taste it first to make sure it's not poison. Mm -hmm. she's learning the ways. Yeah. So, um, so she was actually, she was her father's favorite child. So she definitely got groomed for power the most. It, it feels like reading up on her kind of felt like she was the chosen one in the family. And, um, and that gets put to the test pretty early as far as her other siblings, because her, her father goes to Rome goes and uh, is trying to kind of do some political maneuvering between um, Pompey and Julius Caesar, who are two Roman generals who are kind of fighting against each other. And while, he, while he's out there, one of his daughters, one of Cleopatra's sisters, 
tries to seize the throne. And this is when Cleopatra, she couldn't, she had to have been a teenager at the time. Um, yeah. If that. So one of her sisters already tries to seize the throne from her father and uh, is killed <laughs> when she gets back or when he gets back from Rome. So over one on uh, her siblings trying to, trying to get the throne. Yeah. So that was a uh, Berenice. She, uh, Berenice the fourth. And so she tried to seize the throne and uh, was promptly killed upon Ptolemy's return. Par for the course for that for that dynasty that family. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, after this, uh, the the Roman civil war ends, and uh, while the Ptolemy family was kind of cheering for Pompey, uh, he does not win. It was uh, Julius Caesar, who, who we all know his name, who ended up winning the Roman Civil War. So, around this time, Ptolemy Twelfth, who's the father, he passes away. He leaves the throne to Cleopatra and his son, Ptolemy Thirteenth. Yeah, and at this time, Cleopatra's 18, and her brother-husband is 10. 10 10-year-old king. Yeah. And and I think what they found was that there there were a lot of people kind of vying for power around them. And Cleopatra, being the smart, well-read, groomed leader that she was, uh, they instantly gravitated to her brother to try to uh, manipulate him and kind of turn them against each other as much as possible. So pretty soon thereafter, it becomes an infighting civil war between the two of them. Yeah. And a, a big part in all of this is the Romans. Like, who's, who do the Romans support? Yeah, huge part of it. So they they start fighting each other. They both start gathering their armies. Cleopatra gets exiled out of Alexandria. Alexandria is kind of where they're based out of. And Cleopatra gets kind of exiled out into the into the country, into the desert on the outskirts. And uh, it's not looking great for her at that point. So she's on the outskirts. And then, again, this is the Roman Civil War has ended at this point, and uh, Pompey is fleeing from Rome, and um, this is the person that the the Ptolemy family had kind of put their support behind. So Pompey comes to the shores of Alexandria, and Ptolemy the Thirteenth is the one in power in the in the city. And so his generals go out and meet the the king or the general as he comes in, desperate for help. And what do they do, Johnny? Do you know what they do? Yeah. So the Ptolemy, Cleopatra's brother, husband, person she's fighting in war, um, 
he has a choice. Pompey, this person who really supported them, like that was their voice within Rome, or supporting Caesar, um, who just won the war. And of course, you're gonna you're gonna support the winner. So he beheads Pompey. Um, and this is gonna they're hoping this is a gift to Caesar to show allegiance. And that's that's what you got to do in the, the Game of Thrones. So knowing what you know now in that situation, how do you think you would treat Pompey as he, come, as he comes ashore? I mean, you can't – unless there's actual personal feelings and you want to help them, that, they have no more leverage or no more use to you, as cynical as that is. Yeah. And it it calls in the uh, dead men tell no tales. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's where uh, they just kind of wanted to be rid of them, so that it so that it it removed any suspicion that they were on his side. So knowing full well that they were going to have to then work with Caesar, they they say, all right, we're just going to kill him. And that will uh, make him like us more. And uh, that was a huge decision, as it turns out, for Cleopatra, because just the opposite happened. Uh, Caesar arrives, is greeted with the severed head of Pompey. And um, what I was reading, it, it was kind of, he might not have really been it was kind of conflicting reports on whether or not he was trying to, he was faking that he was disgusted by it or if he was genuinely disgusted, but either way he react with, reacted with disgust and was very unhappy that they had done so. And um, it was kind of a moment where the new most powerful person in Europe was, uh, was looking at Ptolemy the 13th and Cleopatra who were within their own civil war. And he, was instantly gravitating away from Ptolemy the 13th because of his decision making. Yeah, and you know, at that time Ptolemy has the throne, you know, you think he's he's the leader. He ha he has the support at that moment while Cleopatra is exiled, but then um, you know, she, she takes things into her own hands. Yes, she does. So, uh, Caesar is in the royal palace. He's um, kind of acclimating himself and Cleopatra says I need to come in I need to talk to him and I need to plead my case but Ptolemy the 13th is definitely not going to let her do so so um, she leaves her army wraps herself in a rug <laughs> of all things and this is the famous story she wraps herself in the rug one of her soldiers picks her up, puts her, puts her on his shoulder in a rug and somehow smuggles himself and her into the city of Alexandria, gets into the royal palace and then drops her off in the room that Julius Caesar is staying. And this is how they meet, is um, when she is the, the absolute enemy of the entire city at the time and uh, manages to get into a room with Julius Caesar. And he's very impressed by that. Yeah. 
And so, and I, you know, as we figure out, eventually Caesar sides with Cleopatra, um, and how this, how she convinced him, you know, is kind of up for interpretation. Um, I think, of course, she has a huge political case. Egypt has a ton of wealth. They have more grain than anywhere. Um, and in the future, Cleopatra becomes immensely wealthy and is one of the estimated 30 richest people to ever live. So Caesar has a lot of incentive to tap into that wealth. Obviously, Rome has the greatest military and could potentially conquer Egypt. Um, yeah. But then at the same time, um, Caesar also is probably pretty impressed on her cleverness on getting in. Yeah. And, and then, of course, there's the people who spin it as seduction because eventually they would have a relationship. Did it happen right away? Did it play a role in the beginning? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think it was more just a political move combining wealth from Egypt with military power in Rome. B but there is that spin of some people want to put seduction and romance, maybe because it makes, you know, movies better, but, or stories better. Yeah. And this is one of those kind of key situations where it kind of goes to show that Cleopatra maybe, um, she, well, she wasn't necessarily a seductress. It was more that she was a great tactician and she made the tactical move to smuggle her. She knew that she had to talk to Julius Caesar and she knew that that was the person who was going to um, basically free her and get her to the throne. And she did exactly what it took to get there. And I think that that was more what impressed Caesar, the fact that she was willing to take that risk and willing to do what it took to be to get to where she needed to be. And I think Caesar saw that and thought this is much more sound leadership than the 10, 11 year old who is, whose lieutenants decided to sever the head of uh, my opposing general and give it to me. Yeah. And then it's still an interesting decision because at this point, the Egyptian military and the people, they support Ptolemy. So it's a very big statement by Caesar to support Cleopatra. Yes, definitely. And um, yeah, he's completely outnumbered in the city. And the city is occupied by Ptolemy. So the for him to, just as you're saying, for him to, to kind of make this decision, um, he quickly starts kind of brokering the negotiations between the two of them. And then um, Ptolemy starts sieging the palace that Caesar is staying in. So at this point, Caesar's life is on the line because he's being attacked. He only has a couple thousand men with him and he's being attacked by Ptolemy in Ptolemy's home city. So um, it was kind of a risky decision for Caesar 
who's got all this power. Um, but while he's kind of low in troops, he kind of starts to side with Cleopatra and, uh, and then fights his way out to, to kind of stand by the decision. He does not make the easy decision. He makes what he thinks is the right decision. Um, so right when he kind of, when the when Ptolemy starts attacking and sieging them, uh, Caesar manages to get word out that he's going to need reinforcements. And then I'm not 100% sure how long the the battling lasted within the city. Yeah. But it it definitely was not a full blown war. Yada yada yada. Roman, you know, Cleopatra, Caesar, they were victorious and Cleopatra um claimed the throne with the Roman support. And the people probably once they saw Caesar and the greatest military in the world is supporting Cleopatra, it's probably enough to tip the support in her favor. But there there was a a battle. Um yeah, for there was yeah, some sort of battle, sieging, and then the, the Romans the Roman reinforcements show up. Ptolemy flees, Ptolemy drowns and dies. Um, Cleopatra gets the throne. She is then co-ruler with Caesar appoints her and another Ptolemy <laughs> to be king and queen. Ptolemy the fourteenth. Um to be king and queen. And then Cleopatra and Julius Caesar, again, we're just stating facts. We're not saying anything about uh, who these people were necessarily, but they go on like a love boat expedition for two months down the Nile. Yeah. Which it, and it was a floating palace, an absolute spectacle. Um, people would, you know, rush to the shores to see, um, you know, Cleopatra, this believe divine, you know, God on earth or goddess, I don't know. And this great, you know, Roman leader. And as people come, they bow down. Mm -hmm. And it, it's Caesar gets to see a lot of the great pyramids. You know, Cleopatra's kind of showing him the greatness of Egypt. Yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, and Egypt was a beautiful place. Alexandria had like one of the most beautiful skylines of the time. Um, Egypt actually had two of the ancient wonders of the time. So there was the Great Pyramid of Giza, which is the only ancient wonder that still stands. And then there was also uh, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, which was kind of the which was this enormous lighthouse that was at the, at the at the front of the city? So it was Egypt was absolutely gorgeous at the time. So they Caesar just takes a break. He's won his he won his Roman War, and then he uh, goes and basically dictates what's going to happen in Egypt, and then goes on his love boat cruise with Cleopatra, and then he and then he heads back to Rome. And, uh, yeah, of course, uh, before he leaves, he, he sets a seed and <laughs> impregnates Cleopatra. 
Yes. And uh, Cleopatra and Julius Caesar have a son, aptly named Caesarion. Yeah. So this, yeah, this son, in, in, in their relationship, Cleopatra and Julius, and this is just, I'm asking you for your opinion here. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was purely political, like, you know, great wealth, great military, who knows, maybe they envisioned a world kingdom, or maybe they were just good allies, but um, having, a, having a son, I don't think Caesar had a male heir, like, like a natural son. I, I could be wrong there, but, but regardless, it, you could view this as a very political move to have this kid. Or do you think there was love involved or do you think it was caesar of course had a huge reputation for just fucking everything um yeah. and before and after before and after cleopatra you know he's sleeping with other king's wives he's like yeah he he has that reputation so what do you think their relationship was i think that um i mean i mean it might have been love lust whatever you call it i think they were definitely they had this kind of moment together where they were battling and um, getting closer to each other and then they, they win. And I, th I think they were just kind of celebrating and um, they, I don't know, they, they maybe loved each other, but they maybe were just lusting for each other. And uh, I think they were just kind of, um, I don't know what kind of sexual protection there was back then. I think a lot of it was just that, like someone like Julius Caesar goes around and he does whatever he wants and there's not DNA tests following him around. <laughs> it's not, it's not like, uh, like he probably had a lot of illegitimate kids. Oh, so yeah, Caesarian was illegitimate technically. Um, they say that he gave Cleopatra um, permission to name him after Caesar, but he never technically acknowledged Caesarian's existence and when he eventually dies he doesn't recognize Caesarian as an heir um he and as you said he doesn't have any children that he um recognized and he just named his own heir he didn't um he didn't have any children that he left anything to so I think yeah they were probably lusting for each other and um and I think the the child just kind of just kind of happened i think they were probably yeah yeah quite frequently yeah on this yeah point. my personal opinion it definitely you know infatuation with each other lust i do think there is something where caesar wanted to have a kid with you know one of the wealthiest most elite divine woman in the world i i think mm -hmm. there probably was which which brings me to another question do you think Cleopatra thinks she's divine? Do you think she actually believes that she, um, you know, like came from the gods or can speak, communicate with the gods because she had, she is, you know, a God in her own right. Um, I want to say no, probably not, but it's tough to, it's tough to get in the mindset of the, of the people in the time because, um, Caesar was also, he was also anointed godlike status. Mm -hmm. 
I think they said that he was like um, in the that his heritage was like Neptune or something like that. Uh, that's probably wrong, but um, I think yeah they might have believed it, but I I think they just it was just like another way for them to get more power and become the and once you name yourself a deity, then you just kind of you get that extra level of people obeying your orders and you get more power over your subjects. Yeah. I, I do think there is something to be said that maybe, you know, they kind of know it's bullshit and they're just using it to manipulate people. But I also think there's something to be said that you are the center of your own universe. And from day one, you're told, you know, you're a God, you're divine. I think you grow up, believing it to some extent yeah yeah it's possible and um and you and you look at the egyptians and the pharaohs and the way that they um buried themselves in sarcophaguses with all of their wealth um they were definitely very ritualistic in some of the things that they did so yeah I, i i i definitely think it's possible yeah, modern, just, modern day me says <laughs> they probably like just using the power of us. Yeah, it's interesting. And um, while we're speaking of essentially the last pharaoh, Cleopatra, let's let's do a bit of a Wikipedia, BuzzFeed, Google search deep dive on <laughs> pharaohs. How much BuzzFeed information did you find? <laughs> um, I'll I'll read. The stuff on pharaohs, and, and you can tell me where you think I got these sources. Um, okay, okay. I'm pretty good at Wikipedia research, so I, I should be able to spot those facts. <laughs> okay, so pharaohs, which pharaoh translated means great household. Um, makes sense. Mm. The pharaoh is a military ruler believed to be divine and could communicate with the gods and so it was a daily ritual where the pharaoh would go to the statue of the gods touch them and channel the gods and speak tell the people what the gods said make decisions based off of this and one um kind of wild thing the pharaoh a pharaoh could do is they would ejaculate into the nile river because it was believed that their seeds were divine. And if they put that into the Nile, it would promote a beneficial harvest. Wow. And that's, is that, that's gotta be Buzzfeed, right? <laughs> it, it wasn't actually Buzzfeed, but it was one of those, they were going for dramatic effect about Pharaoh's um, it was like crazy facts. I mean, yeah, that is crazy. I mean, and, and that was, Egypt at the time was so, because the way that their harvests work was that the Nile would flood, and that was how they got the, the fertile lands for the, for the great harvest, because the Nile, the famous Nile that flows from south to north, um, it would flood every spring, yeah. and then that would set up their harvest, would, would be from it flooding, so they needed it to flood. Yeah, and the Nile River, they believed it had magical attributes would create larger animals um they would send nile water to people in rome because they thought it had magical attributes 
um, in continuing on, on the pharaohs, um, one of their crowns, which maybe a lot of people have seen, they have a cobra at the top of the crown and mm -hmm. cobra, you know, very symbolic for Egypt. It's supposed to represent the pharaoh's readiness to strike enemies with venom at any time. So that's why they had that on top of the, the crown. Ooh, that's nice. I like that. Yeah, the, the long goatees you see in a lot of pharaoh statues, it wasn't an actual look during the day, but they had it for the afterlife because one of the gods had a fake long goatee and um, really they wanted so they to playing to the crowd. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and then the, the famous, you always hear of curse of the pharaohs. That was, you know, believed to be real where anyone who would disturb a mummy's tomb would be punished, whether it be sickness, or you know, haunted type of experience. Um, it was called the Curse of the Pharaohs. Mm. And and the, the tombs, like you mentioned, they're setting up their afterlife, and so they would bury all the things, you know, the furniture, the treasures, their clothing that they would want in the next life. And that's why they were mummified so that they could um, retain their physical body for the next life. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they had in, uh, two more interesting facts, I suppose. So they had an awful diet, a ton of oil, sugar, and alcohol because they had had a whole lot of receptions and meetings, and many are believed to be obese or had diabetes. Really? Yep. That I did not know. And I don't, I've never thought about that. That that would be, hmm, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, Actually, I got a few more things. I'm just, I, it's just hard not to share some of this information. They were very pro cats. Um, and one Is it of all like the, uh, the sphinxes, was that their favorite type of cat? Do you know that? Because the sphinx is, is, uh, is famous. Yeah, that, that's what I think. But one of their goddess of warfares had a cat like head. Um, I bet you it is that of a sphinx, but that was one of their goddesses. So that's why like, it was illegal to harm a cat or allow one to come into harm. Wow. And one final pharaoh story. So a pharaoh who was aptly named pharaohs, <laughs> there was the Nile had a poor harvest. So he threw a spear at the Nile in disgust and anger and the gods punished him by making him blind but he found out if he took the urine of a faithful wife took it in a cup and put it on his eyes he'd be able to see again so he tried it on his wife still blind tried the urine of many females wait so someone told him this i mean i don't know where the truth is in this story He's my, because my instant question is, is how did he find out that this is, that this is how this works? And he tried everything and then they were like, all right, look through the urine of a faithful woman. Yeah. Okay, so. Maybe he thought the gods told him or maybe he had a weird fetish and this was how he got Two his birds. fix. <laughs> Two birds. Yeah. He tried his wife. It didn't work. So how many, how many women? 
he tried a lot and eventually and again you know where there's the truth in the story but eventually it worked and he could see again and so he married that woman because it meant she was faithful and he murdered his wife so he was never blind <laughs> that's what <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely never blind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely yeah. don't know. Urine fetish and um, no kink shaming, but he has a weird urine fetish and uh, was never blind. That's <laughs> I like that though. Most likely, but that at least gives you a feel of the power of the pharaohs. Mm. So, where were we? C Caesar was about to C die. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, um, and this is kind of, and uh, Cleopatra's kind of reign and her uh, queenship can kind of be characterized as two kind of both tumultuous eras and relationships where she has her first, which is with uh, Julius Caesar, and which is kind of her coming to power. In, in consolidating power in Egypt. And then um, Caesar, as uh, people may or may not know, is murdered, assassinated by the Roman Senate in about 45 BC, 44 BC. And uh, he gets killed. So everything's back up in the air. Um, just like how in Egypt, uh, there's a lot of turnover in the leadership, the same thing was happening in Rome. Uh, Very politically concerning for Cleopatra. That was her ally. That was her promoter in Rome. And now he's dead. And, you know, it's a bit of a power gap. Yeah. She, she, managed to, she managed to have a child with the most powerful person in Europe, and then he gets killed. So um, Caesar doesn't have any legitimate children. Uh, he names his sole heir and adopts his grandnephew, Octavian, who's 19 years old approximately at the time. So Octavian is named Caesar's sole heir. He instantly gets kind of thrust into the power position. Um, Octavian comes back to Rome. He was studying off in a different country. He comes back to Rome and then he teams up with Mark Antony and Lepidus and they become the um, it was either the first or the second Roman I think it was the second Roman triumvirate which is what it was called and those three um, come into power, consolidate power, um, band together. He is with the Roman Senate. This was the end of the Roman Republic. In the Roman Senate, you really had to um, do the political game to to get in power and not just be um, killed like Caesar was. Um, Caesar was killed because he had too much power, and so they assassinated him. So then three people kind of follow up and take over the Roman uh, lens. Yeah, exactly. A couple big things. The Romans don't love one person in power, which Caesar had become. 
Um, mm -hmm. And that that's why these three people are trying to divide the power. Yep. So Mark Anthony is in kind of the eastern section, I would say. At this point, Rome, if you picture Rome, it's like, if you look at the world map, the Mediterranean Sea, anything that borders the Mediterranean Sea is part of the Roman Empire or the Roman Republic. So, uh, except for Egypt, which, which was uh, autonomous, but still kind of closely allied. And so Mark Antony was on the, the eastern side. So he was kind of in the Turkey, Greece, uh, Syria, the Gaza Strip. He, he was ruling that section as a general. And then there was Octavius, who was up in, the, in France, which was called Gaul at the time. Spain, um, Northern Italy. I think where Rome was and a lot of Italy proper, as we would say in modern times, it was it was all it was kind of run by the Senate, wasn't it? It, it wasn't really not to get too far into the Roman stuff, but yeah, something like that. And, and obviously, so the two big characters here, Mark Antony and um, Octavian, Octavius. Uh, <clears throat> just to depict them a little bit. Well, first of all, they don't really like each other, but they're bonded together to avenge Caesar's death. Um, in, in terms of visual appearance and reputation, Mark Antony was this great Roman general who served alongside Julius Caesar, and he claimed to come from Hercules, you know, a big, broad, uh, strong guy, while Octavian is this young, very sickly, very frail kid, 19 or very young yeah. and ju just has power because Caesar uh, named him his heir. Yeah. And the reason that, and the reason that Caesar named Octavian his heir, some say is that Octavian kind of like fought with his parents to have the, the ability to go to war because he was related to Caesar. So he wanted to go fight for him and he was, uh, <laughs> He got sick when he was about to, and then he had another chance to go and fight with Caesar. And then so he uh, takes a boat and him and his crew are going to join with Caesar's army. And then the boat sinks. They basically swim ashore. Uh, the, uh, which is actually oddly like, like Christopher Columbus. <laughs> His story, his great war story, is that his boat sank on his way to fight, and um, so his so his boat sinks. They swim ashore, and then they they're behind enemy lines, and they go behind enemy lines and get to Caesar that way. And Caesar was very impressed with Octavian for doing that, and I think that was kind of what um, told Caesar, in a lot of ways, what Cleopatra did when Cleopatra went behind enemy lines to, to kind of do what it took to get to him, Octavian did the same thing and it's, it spoke a lot for him and eventually led to Octavian being named Caesar's heir. So. Yep. 
And so this this puts Cleopatra in a situation of sorts. You know, who does she align herself with? Does she align herself with both? Does she stay away from it? She makes a choice. She uh, she shacks up with Mark Antony. Yep, yep. They um, in in a lot of fanfare. You know, these Cleopatra, these great high esteemed for the lack of a better word, royal parties, they meet up and there's a ton of fanfare and like uh, Egypt at the time and Alexandria especially, they're known for their um, their lavish styles. And so mm -hmm. when they met up for dinner at some point, they had like lights in the trees um, and it was, you know, very lavish. And Cleopatra was demonstrating the wealth she had and kind of the high life of Alexandria. Um, and it definitely, I, I Mark Antony uh, was intrigued. Yeah, I think he was definitely seduced by, um, and again, spoiler alert, this probably contributed to his downfall eventually, but he was definitely seduced by the Egyptian culture and um, the second that the, the second he was introduced to Cleopatra, um, you can kind of see his attention turn away from Rome and towards Alexandria and Egypt. Yeah, and he's known for being very emotional, very raw, not good with money. He would rip through the Roman funds just because he be very generous and give it to people. He lived unimaginable, like very lavishly. Um, one example, as a Roman general, he, when he would go off into battle, there would be a train of musicians, concubines, actors, all this, so what, you know, to be entertained while he's going into a battle. So just love the lavish lifestyle. And that is very lavish. <laughs> <laughs> war, he's having a good time. Yeah, that's great. And he 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 was definitely well liked by the people too because he was a great uh, general. He fought many great victories and was always on the front lines. Mm -hmm. So this is uh so Cleopatra has her second Roman leader that she's kind of indoctrinating herself with, and uh, unlike Julius Caesar, Mark Antony. Is married. He is married to uh, Octavian's sister, Octavia. Yeah. And that does not stop him. <laughs> he has <laughs> spends <laughs> spends a lot of time in uh, a lot of time with Cleopatra. They have three children together. And um, Cleopatra, and this was, I mean, it's, it's tough to speculate because there's, you don't really know, especially with Cleopatra, when there's not a lot of exact knowledge, there's not a lot of exact descriptions of what was going on behind the scenes. But um, a, a big event was in uh, 34 BC. It was called the Donations of Alexandria. And this is where um, 
Mark Antony donates Roman lands to Cleopatra's children. And this was kind of something that was not looked upon fondly whatsoever in Rome. Um, the Roman Republic did not appreciate the fact that he did this, but he took um, it, maybe half of the land that he was controlling for the Roman Republic, maybe not that much, but considerable, considerable amounts of land and gave it to Cleopatra's children and basically gave it to Egypt at the time. And um, it just goes to show how, how much he how much he really cared about Cleopatra and how much he was kind of um, slowly moving away from the kind of the Roman, uh, the Roman Republic and towards kind of the Egyptian way of life. Yeah, for, for a lengthy period of time, he is, he just remains in Alexandria with Cleopatra. Um, and I, I think a lot of this reminds me of, uh, Cleopatra's like, you know, social knowledge or charm. Like she, here she is, she's Greek, obviously part of the Ptolemy family, but mm -hmm. she speaks a ton of languages. And she's, I think one of the first Ptolemies to know Egyptian, which make the people of Egypt who she rules, um, makes her very favorable to them. But then she also, I mean, she speaks like nine languages or something and mm -hmm. she can, she's convinced now two Roman emperors, um, you know, probably through negotiating what Egypt has in terms of wealth and, and lifestyle and all this, and also um, she's romantically involved. And um, Antony is, you know, he's up there for a long time, despite being married to Octavian's sister, which of course that marriage uh, was, you know, very political in that nature where it's kind of like a fake show of combining their families. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of people think it was like a political stunt by Octavian to make him look bad with his involvement um, with Cleopatra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, you brought up that Cleopatra knew nine languages. I have a list of languages that Cleopatra. <laughs> so Greek, Greek was like her native language. So, and it, it is kind of weird to think that the pharaohs were not even speaking Egyptian. Very. Um, so Greek, Egyptian, Arabic, Hebrew, Median, Parthian, Ethiopic, Syriac, and then the last one's really hard to read. She could read Latin. The last <laughs> one is Troglodytean. Yeah, she can, she can learn nine languages. We came and learn how to pronounce <laughs> one of those, all nine of them. I mean, it's a very difficult word. Trog, Troglodytean. I think I nailed that on the last one. She knew a lot of languages and she she proves time and time again that she's able to curry favor with the people with the most power and she's able to kind of put her society first 
she gains yeah. land in a nonviolent way for Egypt from the most powerful empire, from one of the most powerful people in it, and uh, sets the stage for the last Roman civil war. Yeah, and and, and kind of um, two things to note. One, on her ability to gain favor or get what she wants, um, th there was one time when Antony was supposed to spend time with Octavia, like he was being requested back, and Cleopatra's response was to go on a hunger strike to demonstrate she was so upset. And Mark Antony being very like emotional and just, you know, whatever, decided to stay with her. Um, and then uh, another interesting thing I, I think is interesting to mention, um, obviously her life is very eventful, uh, mainly with um, involvement with the Romans. But I think at this point, she has already had all her siblings murdered off. Or maybe there's one or two, but <laughs> that's how eventful her <laughs> life is. It's, those are just barely bullet points. <laughs> yeah, all yeah. She basically has a hand in the death of all of her siblings, and usually negotiated with the Romans, like, "Oh, help me solidify my power by murdering, you know, my other brother." Yeah, and which is a good point because, and it just shows how powerful and strong she was, was because. Up until, if you look at the years preceding Cleopatra and early on, um, there was a lot of changing of the guard and there's a lot of um, leader getting killed, somebody else moving in, that person getting killed, somebody else moving in. And um, once Cleopatra kind of gets, takes care of Ptolemy the 13th with the help of Caesar, um, yeah, she just kills off everybody else, <laughs> consolidates her power, and um, and pushes forward. So she was she was very strong. Yeah. And uh, and so this leads up to the uh, into the the Roman Civil War, which she plays kind of a big part in. Um, Mark Antony versus Octavian. They, uh, I don't know, have a number of battles. The, the penultimate battle is, um, I think the thing, everything that, and again, to relate it to Cleopatra, everything that Cleopatra kind of participated in, which was the donations of Alexandria, um, having children with Mark Antony, the divorce between Mark Antony and Octavia, I think it all just kind of, didn't help his case in Rome and made it so it was not really a war that he was going to win. Like it, it was pretty much stacked against him. Yeah. I, I think a lot of this is, you know, political manipulation or movement by Octavian, where I think technically he's waging this war against Cleopatra, who Mark Antony just happens to side with because, yes. you know, here's this foreign leader that's, to the Romans being given way too much power. Um, and also the Romans were sick of civil wars. So it's a good, it's good for optics for Octavian to say, oh, we're taking down this foreign great empire that's, you know, ruined one of our great generals. That is a great point. The way that it starts 
is not necessarily them declaring war on each other. It's the Roman Senate declaring war on Cleopatra and then Mark Antony declaring war within Rome. So it's, it's kind of half a Roman Egyptian war and then half a Roman Roman war. So it's kind of, um, it works like that kind of a 2v1 yeah. battle. And, and furthermore, I, I believe Octavian, um, well, he uses that, right? He's like, I thought Antony was my brother. He gave his sister to him. He's like, he's not being, you know, respectful to my sister. And in court, he opened up Mark Antony's will, which said Mark Antony wanted to be sent to Egypt for burial. So he's portraying Mark Antony as this foreigner, you know, he's in heavily involved with foreign affairs. He doesn't have Rome at heart. Um, which, uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of rang true because, <laughs> because everything that, everything that Mark Antony did was pushing towards, uh, was pushing towards Egypt. He probably, yeah, he, he, his Roman ties ended up kind of leaving behind and, um, and he, he went to war for it on the behalf of Egypt. And um, it, uh, let's see if it works out. <laughs> the, uh, so the big battle is the Battle of Actium. This was, it's like Greece is where Actium is. And uh, it's, it's a naval battle. And so it's basically this bay. And uh, Octavian's boats, warships, kind of do like this kind of horseshoe thing on the outside. And then on the inside is Mark Antony and Cleopatra and their ships. And they're. Um, kind of surrounded and that is kind of where this battle happens. There's all this different uh, war games going on and then eventually um, the battle happens. Octavian has much more ships, but they're much smaller. Mark Antony has less ships. They're bigger. They can do more damage to the small ships and um, they have they have one day of full on naval warfare, and uh, this was the thing that I found interesting was that uh, most of the stuff kind of it's things that Cleopatra did really well, and I think this is the this was the moment that she made kind of her critical error. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, of course. Hi, uh, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty, but maybe it would have been better for uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra to not go to war. Maybe Mark Antony should have been, you know, going on battles or supporting Rome earlier. And then even at this point, yeah, I think um, Cleopatra and Mark Antony made some mistakes where one people didn't like to see cleopatra on the battlegrounds as a general but she was um 
surrounded by body guards, had all her gold with her, like really still lived very lavishly, while Romans like to see their generals laying on the ground, eating bread like them. And it, um, and then uh, eventually, so during this battle, they flee, Antony and Cleopatra. Who knows if it was planned, who initiated it, but yeah. Antony and Cleopatra flee with all the go gold, and this looks really bad because your general just fleed the battle. The men on land surrendered. All the people on the ships got obliterated. Yeah, and, and and this is and when I say it was her big mistake is that people the reports from the time were kind of that it was like that Mark Antony's army st stood at least a fighting chance that it looked like it could go either way. And then uh, Cleopatra, her fleet was kind of hanging in the back. And then all of a sudden at one point just goes right through the middle and breaks the, breaks the line and just goes off into sea and yeah. doesn't look back. Yeah. And, doesn't and, help at all. Doesn't <laughs> just completely runs away. And Anthony follows her. Yeah. And my suspicions are, she very clearly was keeping all the the riches and the gold on mm -hmm. her ships, and they probably thought they weren't going to win. They saw, you know, it didn't look good, and so they just peaced. And maybe that was a plan all along. Like, if we can't win, we should at least, you know, maintain what we have. I, I don't know, but... Yeah, it might not have been the plan, but it certainly looks like it, because she bolted, yeah. and then he bolted after her, and then everyone in his is on his side basically just surrenders once that happens yeah joins up with octavian and they they flee back to back to egypt yeah and that yeah the beginning and the end <laughs> and that's that <laughs> because once they go back to egypt octavian follows them and then um starts sieging them in back in alexandria and at this point, power in Rome is consolidated. Uh, Cleopatra does not have the, they, they just don't have the armies in Egypt. Mark Antony's army is left behind. They're now joined up with Octavian. Um, they're back in Alexandria. And, it, and yeah, at that point, it's, the end is near for the two of them. Yeah, and then, yeah, they know the end is near. Mark Antony, like, you know, goes into exile by himself for a little bit and then eventually goes back to Cleopatra. They're basically, as I understand it, they're preparing to commit suicide. They know they're at its end. The, the armies are coming to get them. Um, Cleopatra, even like, and, and you might know, she had this like tomb of sorts that she hid in and it was um, there was a lot of kindling, so it would burn, and she put all the wealth in there as kind of like a leverage. Like maybe she could negotiate to have her children be fine, or at the because she could light up this tomb and destroy all the riches. Yeah, she definitely used negotiation tactics with Octavian to try to make it so her children kind of retained power after. Uh, after her death, she knew that she didn't really have a chance, but she tried to fight for her children to have uh, to have power after her death. 
And Octavian, I think, kind of hollowly <laughs> said, oh, sure, <laughs> that sounds great. She wanted, yeah, she wanted her ch children to be um, the leaders of Egypt after, after everything happened, um, which, which what was not going to happen. But uh, she, she tried her best. And uh, it didn't. It didn't end up working out. So, end game for them. Cleopatra, Anthony, still alive. Cleopatra in her. Um, when you read about this, did it seem like kind of romantic in the way that they were telling, the way that the end happened? <laughs> I, I mean, I, so uh, we can get into it. Let's, we should describe how they how they died but but i think i think they were both like uh i would say this one unlike the julius caesar that they might have actually loved each other they were definitely you know acting trying to help each other despite it not being in their own best interest um yeah so uh cleopatra and her team send word to well probably not cleopatra but they send word to mark anthony that cleopatra has committed suicide and um, Mark Antony is horrified, sad, um, beside himself. He then stabs himself in the stomach. And um, he's dying at this point. Yeah. And then they carry him to Cleopatra. Lo and behold, she's not dead. Yeah. So he, and he, he tried to like commit suicide swiftly, but he didn't hit the spot you're supposed to hit and so he was like bleeding out very just torturing himself but they, they brought him to cleopatra in the state yeah they bring him to cleopatra he and that's why i think this is kind of romantic because the, the way that the, the timing of some of this stuff is kind of weird but so they bring him to cleopatra he dies in her arms then she is just riddled with sadness and she eventually also commits suicide, but this time by a poisonous asp is what they think, which is a snake. An asp, yeah, for whatever just, reason, I thought an asp, maybe this is, this is my silly brain, but I thought an asp was like a knife or something like that. But it's yeah. actually a snake. No. So, yeah, and this all happened like in her tomb. And, and eventually after Antony died, they, they caught Cleopatra like, because she was threatening to light it on fire and, and the, the Romans, you know, Octavian's army, they snuck in and like uh, kidnapped her, catched her to prevent her from blowing it up. So then she was in captivity, but while in captivity, yeah, she, she committed suicide. A lot of people don't think it was a snake. Like some, some people think it's kind of like too good to be true. It would have been hard to pull off. Like the facts don't add up. And, and some people, because there was times leading up to this where she was testing out poisons like on her servants and slaves because she was looking for the poison that would kill her the fastest and um well didn't they find didn't they find like the two little holes from a snake bite on her yeah i i, I don't know it, it's very much up in the air and you'll even see theories that it wasn't suicide and she was murdered um mm. But, but yeah, there, that's definitely the one, like one of the main theories is she killed herself with a snake. Others is she just poisoned herself and others is like Octavian made it look like, but that personally, I believe she just poisoned herself, but 
who knows? Yeah. And um, in, in, in between Antony's death and when she killed herself, she was trying to, she was still trying to negotiate too. So yeah, um, she didn't want to get brought back to Rome for trial. She had like a lot of pride and she didn't want to leave Egypt. And um, she, she wanted to uh, stay there. And she basically found through the grapevine that they were going to take her back to Rome. And then that was it. She yeah. Called yeah. Of the day from there. Like she, she was definitely concerned as she knew she would not be treated well as a Roman prisoner. Um, and then a little, uh, a little bit post, um, her son with Caesar. So the last connection kind of to Rome for her, the last connection to power, Caesarian, um, he had fled at this point and entered negotiations with Octavian. Octavian kind of tells him, come on back to Egypt and you can be the, the leader in Egypt. And so Caesarian comes back and Octavian kills him. <laughs> Just, um, yeah. which is no surprise because Caesarian was the last person who had really any claim to the Roman power. Once, once Octavian consolidates his power, he takes down uh, Lepidus, he takes down Mark Antony, he takes down um, Caesarian, who was t technically the son of Julius Caesar, and Octavian catapults himself into full-on power. Yeah. And that's, um, that's the end. There's no more pharaohs. That's the end of that, uh, you know, the era of the pharaohs, end of the Ptolemaic Empire. Um, yeah, it was really the end of an era on multiple fronts because it's the end of uh, the Ptolemaic Empire or the Ptolemaic Empire, which was 300 years. It's the end of the Roman Republic because yeah. once um, once Octavian wins this final battle against Cleopatra, um, he becomes Augustus Augustus Caesar and um, Starts the first starts the first Roman Empire as opposed to the Roman Republic, and then that goes on for another five hundred years. So it's the end of kind of the Mediterranean European kind of um, powers kind of all shift right at this time with with Cleopatra being right in the middle of it, yeah, which I yeah. thought was super interesting. Yeah, and 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 also I think it's interesting. So because this is right when we get to that BC timeline, so. I do think Augustus Caesar, it's the Caesar that supposedly lived or was in the Bible during Jesus's time. I think that's the one that's referenced, um, which is interesting. But also, as we talk about uh, these kind of like this pivotal moment for these historic civilizations, mm -hmm. we should take a moment and think about the stuff they invented that we can appreciate. Um, so I, I got a list of what was invented um oh, so one, I, don't even, I don't have any clue can you just throw in a couple that they didn't invent <laughs> so <I can> <laughs> all right all right i'll keep you on your toes so one of them um is a game and activity that we 
participated in this winter um, on Thursdays or Tuesdays or Mondays. Ooh. Do you have any ideas? Bowling. Yep. The Egyptians, they invented bowling and you can look up images and you'll see wooden balls and these wooden pins. Um, so we have to thank them for that. The Egyptians invented uh, sailboats. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's the, interesting. Yep. Yep. The 365 day calendar, which the Romans actually like during this time period, the Romans adopted this uh, calendar. The Gregorian ca calendar? Yeah, yeah. Um, breathments. They use like cinnamon, honey, frankincense to create breath breathments. This is the Egyptians. Uh, I like that one. Um, and then, so the Romans, some of the things they created, um, newspapers, and not really papers, but they had stone slabs that would have like the daily affairs that happened on it. That's interesting. I like the, which was the, the papyrus? Wasn't that, wasn't papyrus the Egyptians? Like paper? Didn't they invite, invent paper? That, that sounds legit. Um it's not on here, but I, 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 I'm, I'm willing to stand by that. I'll back you up. I think so. Yeah. I think the, yeah, I think the Egyptians invented paper. Yeah. I'm in, I'm sold. Then <laughs> uh, like sewage systems and modern plumbing, the Romans um, created that so that, you know, you could get plumbing. It wouldn't contaminate the water, et cetera. Yeah, and that was, I knew that, and that's super interesting, because it was all, like, stone, the way that they did it. Yeah. Um, the Romans developed concrete for buildings. And, and here's a, I don't know why, I find this one kind of fun. Uh, they developed arches, so when you're making a bridge, if you just did, like, a long horizontal line, it's not as strong as, like, a bunch of arches which on top you have that horizontal line. Mm, yeah, they say that triangles are more, are stronger. So they they go next level with the uh, the archway. Oh, that's good. I didn't know. I didn't know that was the Romans. Yeah. So that that was some some of the stuff they invented. Very nice. Thank you for that. Yeah. Any any last thoughts you had? About Last, Cleopatra, I would say um, the most. I was really just interested, and I hope everyone else is interested in the fact that she was so uh, integral to such an such an important time yeah. in kind of world history. That um, her name is kind of known and kind of her, the way that she behaved was kind of known. But um, I think the fact that she was such a, my major takeaway was just that I, it was just, you couldn't stop reading more stuff that was going on. Like every, everywhere you looked, it was just, it, things went deeper and deeper. Um, the whole Roman aspect, it was just tough. It was just tough not to just read about these battles and read about um, 
all the shifts of power that happened and and how she was kind of right in the middle of it. So yeah. she, she was really one of the top military leaders in this time. And this was a very tough time to be a military leader. So very impressive for her. Yeah. This is such a pivotal time. And, and it's also interesting to think that like, you know, things didn't have to turn out the way they did. Who knows? Maybe C Julius Caesar and her were trying to create an empire. Maybe Mark Antony and her were going to create an empire that was going to be, you know, Greek or Egyptian. And then we're, we're speaking, we're using like Greek terms instead of coming from Latin or, you know, just such different cultures, honestly. And it, it could have shaped differently. And, and the other thing I've just was amazed with is it, such a different time than now mm. that like when you look at like any ruler ruler of this time with today's standards like they just have to be terrible people like every ruler in that time like would poison their servants not even think of it like murder all their siblings and it's just like absolutely standard during yeah. that time yeah it was i mean they were being named like gods basically yeah they they were there was such a separation of power between essentially one person and everyone else yeah uh, entire society is kind of ebbing and flowing on the whims of just a few people and yeah. cleopatra is right there smack dab in the middle of it she's and you made a good point that it kind of, it could have worked out. She almost got unlucky with the way that it worked out because she was in the good graces of Julius Caesar, kind of solidified that by having a child with him. Julius Caesar was the most um, powerful person probably in the world at the time. And um, then after that, after he gets killed, she then solidifies herself with with another one, and and then that doesn't work out for her. Um, so there's there's other scenarios that she kind of that her and Mark Antony win the 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 um, war against Octavian, and then she easily could have um, turned the Roman Empire into a, into an Egyptian empire. That yeah. was kind of where things were heading. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and regardless, both both uh, both cultures still affect each other. Like the Romans took the calendar. Who knows? They probably took bowling, and that's why we still have it for today. A lot of the art and the architecture supposedly um, exchanged hands. So yeah, very very interesting blending of cultures. Yeah. That uh, that when you you tend to think of each one kind of in a silo. Yeah. as far as the Republic and the um, ancient Egypt. And so it's interesting to kind of see that this was like the key moment that they intersected. So very interesting to learn about. Yeah. Unreal. Well, thank you for, uh, thank you for taking the time to talk, to, to discuss this, uh, this powerful woman in history. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Love you all. Um, yes, much love. Cleopatra, she is the Cleopatra of the world. She is such a good singer and dancer, and everybody loved her, and she wasn't even that pretty. <laughs> okay. But it's true.
people in how do i know because that's what they said they said she wasn't even that beautiful well i know but the, i mean women in ancient history are sometimes looked at based on their looks and cleopatra applied that i feel like she's probably a seven to an eight well, <laughs> i mean based on based on what the historians put down mark antony's probably about a nine seven or eight on a good day a nine I mean, Caesar, have you seen the stuff with Caesar? He's like a solid 10. Yeah. Yeah, she's 